The third lesson's from Matthew, chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Spoken before about the great marketplace that we live in, not just for groceries and places to buy our clothes, but for churches, the different types of churches you have, all of them available for you to choose from. And there are certainly differences between the churches, are there not? You can go to one church and it is a formal church, and one church it is an informal church. You can go to another church and it is everything in between. Sometimes that's between different denominations, other times it's even inside of the same one. One place the preacher wears vestments, one place he doesn't. One place he wears a white robe, one place, this is here, he used to wear a black robe. And then of course you have the more substantive differences. One church will baptize babies, another one won't. One church says you must dunk a person in water, another one says any amount of water will do. There are certainly differences in this marketplace of churches which we have available to us, and the same is true when it comes to the topic, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. Again, you have quite a variety for all the things available to choose from, a variety of what and how. What is the Lord's Supper? How does it happen? And what are we to do? But there is a big question, a question which is on a lot of people's minds, especially when they visit a church, especially when they come to a church like ours. That is the question of who. Who can come? Who can come up to the Lord's table and partake of the gifts that are offered there? I'll go ahead and address the elephant in the room right up front. We are a Missouri Synod congregation, and when it comes to who can take communion, trust me, our reputation precedes us. Everybody knows you can go to most Protestant churches, you're welcome, fine, no big deal. But you go to the Missouri Synod Church, well, it kind of depends on the congregation. It kind of even depends on the pastor. Is he younger, a little more open-minded? Is he older and more closed-minded? Or is the anomaly of being young and closed-minded? That happens. But those are the questions that people have. Not everybody can partake of the Lord's Supper when they come to visit Calvary. Why? Why is that? Well, that's what we're going to be focusing on for our Lenten midweek services over tonight and the next few Wednesdays, or all of the Wednesdays, really, in March. And we're going to answer these questions in various forms or various parts of the answer. Who can take communion? Now, the Lord's Supper is indeed, it is one of the bigger fault lines between denominations. It doesn't matter if a guy wears robes or not. It really doesn't matter. Believe it or not, it's not my preference, but it doesn't matter if he preaches from a pulpit or going up and down the aisle. In the scheme of things, that does not matter. The Lord's Supper, though, is kind of one of those things that does matter. And it's something that we ought to take very, very seriously. There are people who are Christians who bear the name of Christ, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will say the Lord's Supper is only the body and blood. It's not bread and wine anymore. There are people who go the opposite route, and they say it's not the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's just a symbol. It just represents his body and blood. 
Some people will say when we take communion and when the clergy person offers the sacrament of the altar, there is a re-sacrifice of Jesus' body and blood as if he is on Good Friday all over again. Other people, when they celebrate the supper, they say, no, it's not that. The whole thing is just a memory meal. Kind of like going through a scrapbook, looking at pictures, and remembering that vacation you took 25 years ago. Well, the Lutherans, us, we strike, I think, as best as you can, a middle way between those two extremes, a biblical way. We say, number one, that it is, yes, communion, the body and blood, the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, and at the same time, God can do this, It's bread and wine. It's both at the same time. It's his body and bread, it's his blood, and it is wine. And number two, we say quite simply what Jesus said. As you heard when he instituted the supper, we eat and drink it for the forgiveness of our sins. It does something. As we are eating the body and blood of Jesus, we are receiving from him forgiveness for all of the things that we have ever thought, said, or done. That, of course, and obviously I'm biased, and, but that, of course, I do think is the plain, simple meaning of Jesus' words when he gave us the supper. There are those who try and peek into the mystery behind it, those who try and fill in the blanks, as it were. There are people, of course, who deny it and deny that it's even possible for it to be his body and blood and give forgiveness. But the Lutherans, well... We look at Jesus' plain words, this is my body, this is my blood for forgiveness, and we say, yes. Yes, it is. I don't know how, but I believe because he said it, he who rose from the dead, that it is what he says it is, and it does what he says it does. According to his institution, not the laws of physics or science, and certainly not the power of a pastor, it is his body and blood for forgiveness. That is, in a nutshell, what we believe, teach, and confess about the Lord's Supper. So, what about the reason we're here? What about the who question? Who can come? We're going to answer that tonight, at least in this part. Those are welcome to come to the Lord's table, or at least as a minimum of this, who have been baptized, who have been instructed in the Christian faith, and specifically what the Lord's Supper is and does, and who believe the communion is what Jesus says it is. That is to say, who believe our teaching on the Lord's Supper. In the first place, it's the easy one, we'll talk about the baptized. Communion is something that Jesus gave to his followers. He gave it to the church, then and now, and through all ages until he comes back. He did not give it to the world. He did not give it to people who don't care about him, who don't know about him, who don't believe in him. And so, the introductory sacrament, which moves us from the world to being inside the church, Christ's body, is of course, holy baptism. Water applied in the triune name to a person of any age. By holy baptism, we are washed away of our old sin and all of its consequences. By holy baptism, we have again forgiveness of sins, and by holy baptism, God himself writes his name on us. To admit someone to communion before, or even willfully without baptism, that makes about as much sense as doing the absolution before we do the confession. 
I get up and forgive you for sins that you haven't even confessed yet, and then you confess after the fact. No, there is a very clear order. We baptize and then we commune. Baptism first. But baptism, of course, though it's a necessary thing, a prerequisite as it were, it's not sufficient in and of itself for us taking the Lord's Supper. The next step, if we are taking seriously our Lord's words, is that we instruct people. That is to say, we teach them. We teach them about themselves. We teach them about God. We teach them about the Lord's Supper itself. You probably know the words of Paul's rhetorical question to the Romans. How is anybody going to believe if they haven't heard? How is anybody going to hear unless someone preaches to them? How is anyone going to preach unless they're sent and so on and so forth? Of course, the same applies here. Our senses naturally tell us that the Lord's Supper is bread and wine, or a bread-like wafer, (laughs) to be fair. But the senses that we have do not tell us, they can't tell us, that with that bread and wine is also Jesus' body and blood. We must be taught that. Someone must tell us this is what it is from God's word. That is to say, we need to be instructed to know what it is with that bread and wine we are receiving when we come to this altar. Now, we know that most of the really important things in life require some degree of teaching. Well, communion's no different, and why should it be? It's a wonderful gift of God. It is a powerful tool of God by which he brings forgiveness to the people who are his people. But if it is taken or used unworthily, it can be something that is dangerous to people. Someone who does not know what is going on. And that's why we have the second lesson here from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Hear it again. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And even says this, some have even died. That's a heavy warning, isn't it? It's a pretty important one. If someone doesn't discern properly, he's actually eating and drinking judgment on himself when he comes to the Lord's table. And so for that reason, our churches, Calvary, and the churches that we are in fellowship with do not and should not indiscriminately admit anybody who just wants to come up to the rail. But only the baptized, only the instructed, only those who have been examined. And that then brings us to the third treatment for this evening. To take communion, you must actually believe. You must believe in your heart that it is what Jesus says it is and it does what Jesus says that it does. We all know the saying, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Now that is to say, Somebody could be instructed in what it was. He could even be baptized and instructed. Both of those things, someone could have taught them. But the question is, do they actually believe what they have been taught? Has the faith that has been confessed to them in their class or whatever setting they learned, is that faith taken home in their heart and it is their confession? Do they believe that it is truly Jesus' body and blood or not? Do they believe That in eating and drinking, in repentance, they are receiving the forgiveness of their sins, sins that they have in fact repented of. And what's more, do they confess the true doctrine and reject doctrine and teachings 
which go against the true doctrine? Have they cut those things out of their life where they are even in fellowship with someone who rejects the true biblical teaching about this Lord's Supper? I know it might seem like a high wall and a high bar that we are setting when we talk about these things, but truly, as we will see in the next several weeks, it is no higher than where Jesus sets the bar himself. And we'll get more on that particularly in a couple of weeks. But for now, this evening, we will stop here. Communion is a blessed gift of God to you, his body, his church. And we do well to receive that blessed gift with thanksgiving and also We do well to practice that gift, not according to our whims, our ideas, social, familial pressures of those around us, but according to Jesus Christ and his institution. Let him tell us where to go. To quote Dr. Seuss, he meant what he said, and he said what he meant. In, with, and under the bread and wine of this altar are an immortal meal, the medicine of immortality, the church fathers called it. So let us show that we love and treasure it by believing and teaching and living a life of worship according to it. Amen.